Performance Podcast. My name is Beth Shank, nurse scientist and sustainability leader in Missoula, Montana. On the podcast, I interview nurses working at the intersection of health and environment. Today, I'm speaking with Carol Ziegler, nurse practitioner, faculty member at Vanderbilt University School of Nursing, and co-chair of the Annie Climate Committee. Carol talks about links between Appalachia, Kenya, and Nashville with some great insights about what she has learned from these different settings. This is an inspiring conversation. Carol, welcome to the podcast. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Thank you. Me too. I've been looking forward to to this very much. Well, first, tell us a little bit about yourself and your nursing background. How did you get into nursing to begin with? Well, I I started out as a nutritionist. Um, I was working as a nutritionist in a rural part of East Tennessee in sort of the Appalachian foothills, Um, and at the same time working as a lab technician in a phytochemical research lab at the University of Tennessee. Um, And I think my experience in Appalachia, I just felt like I wasn't able to do enough. And when one of the weekends I was in Nashville, I spoke to a a mentor of mine, a friend and a a mentor, Carol Etherington, who was a nurse, a psych nurse. And we were just kind of talking about um, what I was doing and sort of where I was seeing barriers. And she suggested nursing to me. And I really hadn't considered it. Um, I just hadn't – I didn't know nurses in my family. And I didn't know all the options that were open for nurses. And so I spoke to a few other colleagues um, of hers that were nurses and realized, like, this sounds like exactly what I want to be doing. So I went – I got into Vanderbilt's nursing program. I finished that program in 2006. um, And the first job I got out of school was at Meharry in the family practice clinic, which is where I still am today. So I worked there. um, And then in 2010, 2009, I went to Kenya and was asked by some local, um, a local community there to come back and open a clinic. And I was sort of trying to bat around what would that look like? I felt totally unqualified. (laughs) Um, And I came back to Nashville and spoke with some colleagues at the Institute for Global Health and also my mentor, Carol Etherington. And the the sort of discussion was around, well, why don't you do that as a doctoral project? And then you have all the support from people here and you can have partners on the ground in Kenya. So I finished my doctorate um, at Vanderbilt in 2012. Um, and started part-time as a faculty member there in 2013, had a baby in 2013. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, and the working environment in the School of Nursing at Vanderbilt is extremely supportive of family. So it was just a great place for me to, to be um, a new mother and I had a lot of support. And then I started working as a new faculty member, um, with the nurse midwifery program, actually, even though I was an FNP doing their, the dual nurse midwifery FNP sort of clinical rotations and their primary care education, and then sort of slowly transition into the FNP program. And then also the doctoral program. So that's sort of the education piece. Um, the practice piece for me, I've stayed at Meharry the whole time and I've gone to part-time, but that's really where, um, I love teaching but I, I could never leave practice. I really enjoy my practice. Wow, that's great. What an interesting background. So so I see lots of links to global health and and somehow eventually you got interested in climate change because I know you are the co-chair of the Annie Climate Committee. Tell yes. me about that. 
So I think I've always been interested in environmental health. I grew up with a father who was a rabid environmentalist. It was a reformed hunter. So um, he he used to hunt and he, in his retirement, really has focused on protecting forest land. So as a child and a young person, he was always taking me outside on hikes um, and was just really concerned about environmental issues. So that was always on my radar. And then I think when I went to Kenya, I really saw firsthand how communities with very, very low carbon footprints were being dramatically impacted by climate change. Um, and I remember having conversations with farmers about, you know, we it's hard for us to time when we even plant our crops because the weather patterns have changed, the bird migration patterns have changed. And they were, my doctoral project was around working with some traditional healers there in the community. They were all really pushing for massive tree planting. Um, and so that's sort of when I realized, wow, this is a really critical issue um, and started looking for creative ways to s sort of work, work with communities to intersect those um, the past between sort of their, their life on the ground and primary care and climate change. And Kenya in many ways is way ahead of us, especially in Tennessee, on things like carbon mitigation. And so the what my project sort of turned into um, was not a clinic at all. It turned into us establishing referral networks for the healers there. That's really what they needed. And then starting a tree nursery. So, because their main concern was deforestation. So we ended up, um, I helped them sort of get a grant together to get community development funds to have a tree nursery where they were growing moringa, banana, cypress, and avocado trees, selling the trees to local folks in the community. And then Kenya Power would buy the cypress trees for the power plants. And there was also a big movement there for them to get carbon credits. So, um, and as I think as a lot of people know, Kenya banned plastic bags a couple years ago. So they just were way ahead in the conversations I was having with folks on the ground there. Um, sort of made me realize, as, like as a nurse, I had a voice to play, a voice to, a voice to share in this, in this debate, and I could really advocate for communities. Wow, that's really cool. Did you, yeah, it's really interesting to uh, hear about your transition just in terms of your doctoral program from starting a clinic to creating a tree nursery. That is really interesting. <laughs> I wasn't expecting. And when, I, when they first said you should come open a clinic, Beth, I was looking around at these people. And I remember being introduced to folks and it was it would be a you know a woman who looked maybe in her 60s or 70s like oh this is my my aunt or this is my mother and i was like how old are these people so mm -hmm. i realized there was i don't know probably in a community of about 700 people, probably 15 or 16 centenarians, there were a lot wow. of very healthy older people. Um, and, you know, they all had, you know, very healthy teeth and very healthy bodies and very healthy minds. And so I remember saying at one point, like, if anyone who looks like me comes to open a clinic, run. Like, run. <laughs> <laughs> because they, the, I, I was like, I feel like the system you guys have now, it seems to be working for most of you very well. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, I want to unpack uh, your statement about having, being as a nurse, you have a voice, you had a role to play in this connecting um, the climate and climate impacts on health and potential health um, from from your perspective as a nurse. Because, and then I want to fast forward to your role as a faculty member, where you work with students who are also contemplating these issues, trying to make connections back in the U.S., where you know we're a little bit behind Kenya, as you say. Mm -hmm in terms of um, both mitigating and living with the changes. What, what, what have you experienced with that, with um, making, making this connection about nursing in uh, working with climate and with environmental health? 
Well, I think initially when I started really looking into environmental health and climate, I was really, I was intimidated. I mean, I would go to, you know, uh, meetings like at Vanderbilt and I was the only nurse in the room. I was often the only woman in the room. That, that changed. Um, but I was in rooms with, you know, PhD engineers and world-renowned attorneys and all these these people. And I thought, I don't really have a, a place here. But then I realized the conversations that were happening were very sort of theoretical to me. Um, and, you know, we were talking a lot about, you know, trees and, and, and wildlife, which I care a lot about. And it's all very important. But nobody was talking about the health impacts. Like nobody was really talking about um, and this is in the, the sort of the climate change circles about how this is going to impact humans on the ground. And I found when I talked to, you know, colleagues or even friends, the the emotion around climate change is sort of like it's just so big and so difficult. Um, and we don't really know how how to do anything about it or how it even is going to directly impact us, because a lot of us don't really feel it. Right. Because we have resources. Um I just was like, this is a massive issue. And then I realized if we as nurses can convince people to quit smoking, <laughs> I feel, and that's really difficult, I feel like we're the best people. I mean, we're the frontline providers. We see what's happening on the ground. In Kenya, the, the healers, right, which are, they're basically nurses. <laughs> um, for that community, we're, we're all sort of speaking the same language. And I just realized that if when we can sh share the story of the health impacts on the ground of climate, it makes it much more personal um, and also gives people, I think, a place to focus their energy. Like we can we can start to tie, um, you know, mitigation to like adaptation, so adaptive mitigation. And then it's like, okay, we see how this, how we're connected and evolved. I think I'm not articulating that well, but I just, I feel like I've, I realized I went from feeling like I don't, I'm, I don't have a place at the table to being like, I have to be at the table. We have to be at the table. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, as translators, and also, as you say, for uh, really communicating that health message, which has been borne out in the social science work, that it's powerful message for people. It's It helps people understand it better because everyone can relate. Yes. So is this something that your students uh, also appreciate? Has the, How have those conversations gone? I think, yes. I think our students are concerned about it. The challenge I've had in our school is our nursing students are so, um, they're so, the curriculum, as you all know, <laughs> is so com compact and so compressed and they're so busy. And this course is an elective. So mm -hmm. last semester, I only had one nursing student in the class. The semester I taught it before, I think I had four or five. Um, but it was a different format. It was distance learning. And this one, they had to actually be in class because we did a lot of uh, project work. So, but when I do, I often am invited to come and speak to different, you know, groups on campus of nursing students and um, nursing student organizations. And I feel like the students are are very aware. I think sometimes because they're not hearing it from the faculty as much and we have not yet embedded it in our curriculum. So the only place they really get it is when I talk about um, effects of like air quality or in some of the global health classes, if we talk about migration and things like that, but those also tend to be elective. So students aren't getting it. Um, like sometimes I feel like I'm sort of an island, <laughs> but I do feel like when we do discuss it, there is sort of an awareness there. Absolutely. And I feel like the beautiful thing about the students I'm seeing now is they're every one of them is an activist. <laughs> I feel like all of them um, are really passionate about justice. And I feel like around climate justice is really at the center of that. And so I think tapping into that aspect will really get the youth and the young people um, and, and up and coming nurses um, active on the issue of climate and environmental health. 
have you seen that shift in the past five years or, you know, recently, I, I would say, I'm, and this is a question a little bit out of the blue. I, mm-hmm. my sense is that this um, awareness amongst younger people, especially probably people in their early 20s, um, has, is really more prominent now than it was even five years ago. Absolutely. And I, I think, too, just the level of of the heightened awareness and the activism, right? We're seeing student walkouts and mm-hmm. um, they're kind of shaming us <laughs> in a way. Mm-hmm. They're, they're shaming the older folks. And I just, I think it's great. I think, um, I think they're also, what I've seen happen, I mean, at Vanderbilt is a student group came together and organized and demanded that Vanderbilt join, I forgot the name of it. It's a university program to get universities to lower their carbon footprints and mm-hmm. Vanderbilt bought on. So I think students are also realizing they have power. They're the consumer at universities. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're realizing they have that power and tapping in. Also, the, when I taught the class, I mean, Beth, these students, I was intimidated by some of these students. They were, they were PhD engineering students in there. Wow. Um who had a lot more knowledge than me about, uh, you know, mitigation strategies and technologies available. So we really, it was a class where there was a lot of sort of co-learning happening and, mm-hmm. and they did a lot of teaching in the class um, just with our discussion. And then the projects they came up with really all on their own, the the results, I was amazed. And I, I, f- I left the class feeling like I, there is hope. Like these young people are going to, they got it together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm interested in your comments about earlier in your career working in the Appalachians and then your experience in Kenya. And I wondered if uh, there were other contrasts you would make about that. And then furthermore, are either with your students or with yourself or as a nurse practitioner in the clinic, um, do you see um, possibilities in our own communities here in the States and in Tennessee? Absolutely. I think one of the things um, that surprised me, and I'm, I hate to say this, but I think it's true for a lot of people who uh, who haven't been to any place, you know, continent or countries in Africa, um, is the way we're sort of marketed to about Africa, right? Is that it's, it, I mean, the way I've always imagined it, because what I see on TV is it's this place where everybody's poor and there's poor education and they need to help all the time. Um, and I feel like when I went there, I mean, I was, I kind of knew that wasn't true just because of, of the relationships I've had with people from the continent, but I was really surprised at um, the, the the very different vision, right, that I was given. Um, people that were extremely empowered, extremely successful, and really just had a different value system. I remember um, we were having discussions because they were asking me questions like, was there ever malaria? And I was like, yeah, we used to have malaria in the States, right? But TVA came in and they, they built dams and we sprayed. And so they have, you know, the capacity to spray there, but they're, they realize that that could have terrible ecological consequences. So they're like, we don't want it. We'll deal with malaria. And so I just feel like, um, I realized there was also this sense of empowerment, like just around diet. If I was seeing people who had diabetes, for example, and it was like, well, you just need to stop drinking this soda because now there's soda in Kenya. There didn't used to be soda before. There's also fried chicken, which they didn't used to have before. Um, People would stop. It's like there's just a sense of empowerment. And like if there's a problem, we're going to move forward and we're going to fix it ourselves. Um, And I think I when I was working in Appalachia, what I felt was extreme poverty, way worse than anything I saw in Kenya. And I saw a lot of independence and strength as well. But I feel like um, we in the States, we tend to sort of forget our own sometimes. And I don't want to other people in other countries, but I I feel like um, we have a lot of 
environmental health and health issues here. And we tend not to realize that. We tend to sort of look look externally. And one of the experiences I had that was telling, and this is more just about health and, and my practice, but when I first started interviewing some of these women, they were like, well, tell us about your practice. And I was kind of like, well, I don't even know where to start. They said, well, the day before you came here, who did you see? Like, who was in your <laughs> clinic? So I was like, oh, well, that's easy. So I was saying, and I was reflecting, I saw a young woman who had had a, like a terrible history of terrible abuse as a child. I saw um, a young man who had been, he was there to have in the clinic to have stitches removed from a gunshot wound. He was about 15. Um, and a veteran who had been kicked off the rolls for, um, who didn't have any health insurance, who would serve like 12 tours of duty, mm. right? And 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 was a devoted and, and, and decorated soldier. And then after 12 tours of duty, hauled off and hit an officer and was kicked off the rolls mm. for health insurance. And so, um, and they were listening to this and we were having this conversation and they were like, why do Americans always come here when you guys have all these all these issues back home? Um, so I feel like it was sort of a realization and I think I always sort of felt that, but that we tend to think and we're sold this sort of idea that there's all these problems abroad, but we can get a lot of answers from like the folks in Kenya. And that's the biggest lesson I got was we don't need to be necessarily in global health, especially there, there are ways we can help, but that's really just getting out of the way and sharing resources. Um, and I feel like there's a lot we can learn from those communities about, you know, cohesiveness and, and sort of the values of community um, and the ecological respect, right? The, the realization that we only can survive if we have a healthy planet to live on and we're all connected and all part of this of this environment together um and also was just really impressed with the the community cohesion the sort of togetherness i think that's the thing i was thinking if we could get that going here we could really impact poverty and things like that i mean if, if a family has a need in that community there everyone pitches in and helps um i think i left feeling like there's so much that we could be learning and there could be so much more reciprocity, especially around, you know, mitigation and adaptation with communities on the ground in Kenya. Wow, that was really well said. It's it's like you're describing our goals, uh, not just in the U.S., but worldwide about building resilient communities. It's yes. just what you said, community cohesion, people watching out for each other, people not making uh, short-term decisions that are going to have long-term, make long-term disasters. Yes. You know what else I noticed? Um, and this is something that I see I see happen a lot of is we tend to sort of uh, repackage things like I think we undervalue what what and I hate to use the word indigenous because we're all indigenous somewhere. Right. But but what sort of these communities are already doing and then we sort of repackage it and sell it back to them. So I feel yeah. like um, like the farms that where I was, they're all organic. All the animals are grazing outside. There's no you know, nobody uses pesticides. Um, and it seems like there's this cycle where outsiders will come in and say, well, let's change your farming methods. And then while meanwhile, in America, we're trying to farm like they're farming there. Right. So I feel like there it would be great. And I think a lot of I think nurses actually are working on this to collect sort of these stories about what are these communities doing now that is ecologically responsible that we don't see. Right. Um, and how can we start to employ some of those practices in our own, you know, here in the West? Yeah, exactly. And that makes me think, you know, your background as a nutritionist, does that does that weave through your work? Do you think about that a lot? I do. And I think um, 
I mean, obviously in my clinical practice, it's primary care, you know, 80% of what I deal with is, is lifestyle related, you know, diet, exercise, diabetes, you know, hypertension, all, all of that bread and butter stuff that we all deal with. Um, but I do feel like I've recently become much more aware of the food waste issue, right? And and I just learned, I'm embarrassed to say this, we, we started a climate network here in Nashville I'm really excited about. We just launched it on May 21st. Mm. Um, and at that network meeting, I met a gentleman who was working on, he was a composting company here in Nashville. And he was telling me the difference between composting food and throwing it in the landfill, the difference in greenhouse gas emissions. And mm -hmm. I just had no idea that there was a difference. Um, so I think the more I learn, and also when I see in the communities where I work, the disparity and the waste, um, the lack of food in one, right, and the and the waste of food in the other, um, it is, it's frustrating. I think there's amazing things though happening just in my own city. There's now an initiative, Nashville has a, a food waste reduction initiative where they're trying to link, you know, restaurants and, and, and grocery stores with, with, um, organizations that feed people in real time. So there's an organization here called the Nashville food project that literally will get, you know, leftover, um, unused food right from a restaurant not leftover food that's obviously that's been been cooked but ingredients from a restaurant these great ingredients and in you know in a matter of hours they've taken all that um what what could have been food waste and turned it into beautiful amazing healthy meals for people and and deliver those meals to people and they they have these amazing creative chefs that can get you know 400 pounds of grapes and <laughs> all these, and turn it into a beautiful meal in a matter of hours it's that's amazing. so cool um, yeah, so there's great stuff happening around around food. But yes, I do think I think obviously the connections between between food and the environment and human health are, are very strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, I I love your your energy and your commitment and your compassion. What what do you think motivates you for this work and how do you stay motivated for it? I think personally, um, I have a, I have a child. <laughs> I, I have a lot of fear around. I have a, a child. He's six years old. He doesn't have siblings, um, and I think I have a legit. I have a real fear around. I don't want to get emotional. Leaving him here um, with things in a mess, especially, you know, the con human conflict that comes out of a lack of resources. And I already see, you know, around, we all see around the world conflict heating up even in our, in our own country. And so I'm very concerned about that on a personal level and just a, I think a, a survival level for him. I, like we have to change things. Um, and more broadly, I just see environmental health is, is such a justice issue. I think, you know, what I see across the board in Kenya and right here in my own zip code is the people that have contributed the least are bearing the brunt with their bodies. And I just think, I mean, the community I work with here, um, there's a there's a housing project here. And there, I think on just a windshield survey, maybe a third of the units have air conditioning. Probably many of them are non-functional. Um, and these are people who either take the bus or walk, you know, to work wherever they're going. Um, they're living, you know in a much more dense environment than I certainly am, like multiple people in an apartment unit. Oftentimes their power may get shut off. So they're, they may be, you know, weeks and weeks with, with, without power. So if you just quantify their carbon footprint, it's much smaller than mine. Right. Um, and I think then, you know, if they don't have air conditioning and there's a very hot day, which Nashville is, is, will have and is having, um, they're literally bearing the brunt of, of, 
carbon emissions with their bodies and climate change with their bodies. And so I think that sort of justice issue is is so sort of in my face all the time. Um, and that's I think that's the reason why I feel like it's it's really critical. And in Nashville, because we've had this big uh, um, sort of housing boom, real estate boom, a lot of people are moving here. There's a there's really a housing crisis and there's very limited affordable housing. I would almost say there's no affordable housing. So there's a lot of displacement. So really the two areas I work on now in, in my practice are climate change and displacement. Um, and both are local and both are global, I feel like, and and very interconnected with each other. Yeah, so interesting and really, really powerfully stated. I have a hard question for you. Do you, you're, because you've, of what you just said, that you see in front of you these injustices, what do you think it is that um, drives you to work on it and it might drive other people to become inured or become impatient? Because this response, this which I see in nurses all the time, this just can't really bear the injustice and can't bear the suffering. Can you help me understand why that is such a drive for you and perhaps for other nurses? I think it's, I think it's relationships. I think it's, um, and I was having this conversation with someone the other day, a friend of mine who's a, who's a in law and is a, is a wonderful advocate around climate and justice issues. Okay. So I think it's the, it's that nurses, we are the front line. So we have relationships, right? So I know, um, I mean, I know people that, that are right now don't have air conditioning. I know, I know their names. I know the children. Um, we sometimes have meals together. So it's just very personal, I think. And I think where I was going with the comment about my colleague, who's an attorney, he, he often talks about intergenerational justice, right? The fact that, and it's very real, the fact that generations who have not yet been born are going to be dealing with climate. And I always, um, and he's exactly right. For me, it's really hard for me to get, uh, if I'm just honest, and I think this is to your point about sort of the inertia that happens, it is just as a human being who is who is where I am in temporal space, right? Um, it's really hard for me to get really worked up about someone I don't know. I think that's just a fact. Like, mm-hmm. why am I not out protesting immigration? Why am, because right now I don't know, I can't see anyone in front of me that, I see pictures, right? But in this case, I, like there are human beings who I have relationships with who are directly impacted. And I think to keep people motivated, you, we have to make those relational connections. It's it's easy to, you know, send out a Facebook message or go even go protest and then go do your thing. Um, if you don't – if it's not constantly in your face and you don't care about it. And I'm not saying um, – like I think everyone cares, right? But I think it's a much deeper level of care when it's – it's someone that you have close proximity to and that you care about as, a, as an individual. So I think to sort of keep the momentum going, we have to just keep bringing people together that, that wouldn't normally be together and finding ways to do that creatively. And I think like I mean, simple things like sharing meals together, um, having, you know, community health events where you're bringing different, different socioeconomic statuses of, of folks together um, is just really critical because when I share with you know, friends around town, what's happening in these communities that, that there are, you know, mothers, pregnant women who don't have air conditioning um, and have poor indoor air quality and their kids have asthma. People are outraged, mm-hmm. but they don't know them. Right. So it's like they want to do something. But then I feel like if we don't make those connections for people, they feel the guilt and the sorrow and the pain, but they don't have any 
anywhere to put it. And so they do get burnt out. It's very mm-hmm. easy. So I think the answer is you have to get in there and, and get to know people. And those people are the ones, you know, they'll text you and say, hey, it's hot. <laughs> like, you know, um, I feel like that's how you kind of stay sustained because those of the haves, right? We are insulated in a way we can, we can theoretically discuss it, but we are sort of insulated from the impacts Mm -hmm. Um, locally and globally, I think. Right. So as a country we are, and we see what, how that's panned out. And then as individuals, like I'm in the same zip code as this other, this housing complex I'm talking about. And I have, you know, everything I need. So I feel like, I feel like it's that proximity Mm -hmm. having close proximity. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Good, good, point and a great way to share your experience because I as you say other people in your same zip code um, are proximal in space but not in knowledge about this right if if, yes. if they don't have this opportunity to to understand the life that other people are living and and um, the shoes they walk in yes we've talked about your concerns uh, a bit about environmental health and climate and justice um, and you've talked about the importance of, of knowing other people and their lived experience um, to help your, yourself know where to be effective and stay in, engaged. What advice would you give to other people, either about uh, which what issues you think are most important or what you would recommend to people who are interested in working on some of these environmental justice issues or climate change? I think... Right now, sort of the mood in the country and the way, I, the, what I, sort of where I see pockets of energy, I think it's important for people to really network and, and get together and stay connected. Um, so we can sort of support each other's work. I see a lot of people doing amazing things, but if we, if we could connect the dots and connect each other, we could have a much greater impact. I think that's the first thing. Um, and I think really we all have to get very politically active. Um, having said that though, and, and I also think we shouldn't wait for the government. I think I see a lot of really exciting things happening in local, like with mayors, I see mayors making great decisions. Right. Um, and local communities just saying, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and, and commit to become carbon neutral. We're not going to wait for the feds. Right. And I think that's really exciting. The other place I think we could really focus a lot of energy and where I've seen a lot of movement. And I didn't consider this before, um, is the private sector. So I think, um, really focusing on ways to have to leverage i would say the social capital especially now with the youth movement that's happening around um consumer power and you know when you can convince google or facebook or walmart they need to put pressure on tva to decarbonize their grid or they won't relocate a business there that's i feel like that's where the power is going to have to come I don't think we have the luxury and time. I think we still should absolutely advocate for, for policy change and, and that has to happen. But in the meantime, let's not wait. And let's, you know, if we're in a community and we see people that need that need air conditioning, let's find ways to get them those. Um, let's find ways to really promote adaptive mitigation on our own. Even if you're in a city and, and your mayor is not interested, you can just get your neighborhood association together and say, we're concerned about this. So we're going to do something. I think I, sometimes I feel like because we do relatively speaking, have a highly 
I don't want to say this right now in this time frame, but looking across the world, we have a relatively highly functioning government. Can I say that? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think we, and you know, for most of my life, it's been, this has been, and still is relative to a lot of places, a very stable place. I mean, we can complain and I complain all the time about the government, but you know, I get up every day, my roads work, nobody is shooting at me, at me, some other people that's happening to. Um, but I feel like, we sort of can get complacent even when we think we're not um, and sort of relying on the fact that our government, they kind of got it. They don't got it. Right. And so we really, I think, I think the private sector sometimes moves a lot faster and with more power um, and we can absolutely impact the private sector. So I think we should really look at putting energy and developing partnerships with, with private sectors and, and nurses on the ground and kind of see what we can do together. That's great. Thank you. And just one one last comment that will follow up on that, um, specifically when with nurses and nursing students and nurses who may or may not be uh, have have the vision or I should say the um, viewpoint that you do into communities and into global issues. Um, do you have any recommendations for them? I think one important recommendation is to like look into Annie. I, I just found Annie you know, maybe in the summer or early fall. Um, actually, Beth, because I listened to one of your podcasts, okay. <laughs> I was Googling and that's how I found Annie. Um, <laughs> and so, and imagine, and now I'm the co-chair of the, the <laughs> so I think finding those networks, like I just didn't realize that Annie even existed, finding those networks and then um, just reaching out. I think if you put your feelers out and getting different sectors together, so like this network, um, event that we hosted gave me the opportunity to meet like a, a, a person who has a composting company and and get him on board. Now we're going to do some stuff together. Meet someone who has a solar panel company, right? So I think just sort of it's all relationship building really at the end of the day, Beth. I think the people that are interested just get out there and meet people and start building relationships. And that's where, you know, you'll co cook up an idea for a project. I mean, that's how the class got going is I was just literally having drinks with this attorney who works on climate and earth environmental scientists and was like, hey, we should make a, a class together. And bam, here it is. So I feel like it's really just relationships and, and people getting together and finding your finding your your people, finding your tribe, right, which is which is what I found in Annie. Wonderful. So well said. Um, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we we sign off? I always, whenever I stop talking about climate, because it can be overwhelming, and I, I always, in lectures, I always have Hubble telescope pictures for students to kind of get back and get, or that Earthrise picture, right, uh -huh. to get perspective. But I always like to say, though it seems dire sometimes, humanity has never had the opportunity we have right now to work together um, against the common threat and also to really address you know, long-standing injustices. Uh, I think climate change and, and car quantifying carbon footprints and carbon emission gives us a really rare opportunity to right some wrongs that have been present for a long time. So I would just say, um, don't lose hope and think for creative ways to sort of start righting those wrongs and and bringing justice into the into the discussion. Wonderful. Thank you, Carol. Beth. Thank you for listening to this terrific conversation, and thank you again to Carol for joining me today and sharing her experience and wisdom. This and other episodes of the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast can be found at envirn.org. And if you have a chance, please leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and talk to you next time. <music>